Hey, hey, hola. Welcome to Earth Sauce, the show in which we break down new scientific publications into bite-sized chunks for your listening pleasure. My name is Kyle, and I'll be your guide for the next little bit while we delve into this week's paper. If you have a paper that you'd like me to break down, you can email the citation to podsauce at gmail.com. With that being said, let's go ahead and get started on this week's article. We've all heard of the nature versus nurture argument, but instead of nature or nurture, the real answer is both, nature and nurture. The field of epigenetics is all about uncovering how our environment affects how we are as people. We're all taught in science classes from a very young age that the DNA is the building blocks of who we are as a person. It will determine how we look, how we sound, how we act, and everything beyond that. But we're never really taught that it can change depending on where you are raised or who you are raised by. The field of epigenetics is all about uncovering how our environment and our DNA interact. We now know that the environment can determine which parts of our genes are turned on or red and which parts of our genes are not turned on. For these next two episodes, we're going to be taking a look at genetics, epigenetics, and how the study of this field affects how we will learn about human biology now and in the future. The paper we'll be taking a look at next week is entitled Advances in Epigenetics Link Genetics to the Environment and Disease, published earlier this year in the journal Nature by Cavalli and Hurd. It discusses how epigenetics and new advances in epigenetics is leading to a revolution in how we are studying human biology. But before we review that paper next week, we're going to be looking at some simple genetics and genetics terms this week so that we can all be on the same page when we're reviewing the paper. So grab onto your genes and let's take a look at what makes you, you. First off, I'm going to go over a few definitions that I believe are important when discussing the DNA transcription translation process. So first off, we're going to discuss the central dogma of biology, which is a simple way to remember how DNA turns into the building blocks of every living thing on Earth. So the central dogma is simply stating that DNA is transcribed into RNA, which is then translated into proteins. So DNA is the abbreviation for deoxyribonucleic acid, which is simply stating the chemical structure of what the DNA is made of. It is made out of a phosphate group, a sugar group, and a nitrogenous base group. Um, the phosphate group and the sugar group essentially form the backbone of the DNA, and the base groups are what pair together so that we get the twisted double helix that everyone is familiar with. The order of the base pairs is determining which codon is transcribed into RNA. And there are four different types of base pairs in DNA. There's adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine. To keep it simple, instead of saying the four different full names of the bases, we keep it simple with A, T, G, and C. A bonding to T, G bonding to C. DNA is stored inside of chromosomes, inside of the nucleus in each cell in the human body. So humans being a diploid species, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes for a total of 46 individual chromosomes inside each cell in our bodies. And one pair of these chromosomes is what determines the sex for an individual, the X and the Y chromosomes. Keeping with the central dogma of biology, DNA is then transcribed into RNA still with inside of the nucleus in the cell. So the DNA is spliced apart 
and copied into RNA, replacing the T-base pairs with the U-base pairs. And this process is taken care of by enzymes called transcription factors. And there are myriad transcription factors, which we can talk about, um, but that's getting into the nitty gritty of stuff. All you need to know is that transcription factors spl essentially splice the DNA open, duplicate it, and repair it again so that we have the original DNA strand and a copy in an RNA form. Now, RNA is short for ribonucleic acid, which is essentially made up of the same building blocks as DNA. But instead of being double-stranded, it is single-stranded. And instead of having a T-thymine base pair, we have a U-uracil base pair. From here, the RNA is transported out of the nucleus and into the ribosome. And within the ribosomes, we have other types of enzymes which are able to read the genetic information on the RNA and translate that into amino acids. The enzymes on the ribosome read each set of three base pairs on the RNA strand. And each set of three base pairs is called a codon, and each codon encodes for a different type of amino acid. Once the amino acid is produced, it links together with other amino acids, and this is what produces our simple proteins. These proteins then link together with other proteins, growing larger and larger until we have our organs and our organ systems. And depending on the folding of the proteins, their functionality is different. So for example, if we have one protein that is folded to the left at 90 degrees, and we have the same protein that is folded to the right at 90 degrees, their functionality could be completely different. Some diseases, like mad cow disease for example, are caused by this abnormal folding of proteins. So essentially that is how all of our bodies work. We have a very tiny piece of genetic information which tells the rest of our bodies how to function. And we now know, thanks to the field of epigenetics, that that tiny piece of information can be altered depending on our environment. And that brings me to the last definition I would like to discuss, which is just epigenetics itself. And epigenetics, like I said in the intro, is just studying how our environment and our genes uh, interact with one another. Although epigenetics is a relatively new field of study, it is already giving us incredibly powerful insights into how the environment plays a role in turning on or off the genes that are being read within our bodies. And this is what I'd like to be discussing for the rest of this episode. We're just going to be discussing some simple advances in epigenetics as well as the history of epigenetics and why it's important for biology as a whole. And hopefully after this week's episode, you will all feel ready to go into the paper next week discussing the most recent advances in the epigenetic field. The term epigenetics has been around since about 1942, when a scientist called Conrad Waddington was noticing some environmental influences on the development of Drosophila fruit flies. Since then, scientists have been working to try to identify the molecular processes that were causing the observations that Waddington was noting. So because of these scientists, we now know that external factors can influence the way that our genes are expressing themselves. And because technology has made it easier and cheaper to sequence specific sections of DNA, we are now able to look closely at an individual's phenotype and genotype and determine which is influencing the other. There's essentially two different ways to study epigenetics. There is reverse genetics, which is going from the genotype and changing the expression of a particular gene and seeing what effect it has on a phenotype. 
and there's four genetics, which is looking at a phenotype and determining which genes are turned on or off to get to that specific phenotype. And the way that genes are turned on or off is through a simple process called methylation, which is what happens when a methyl group is added to one of the base pairs in a specific gene. When a gene is methylated, the promoters in that region are turned off and the gene is not expressed. These methyl groups are added in response to some sort of environmental cue coming from outside of the cell. And the methylation could be in response to an environmental variable that tells this particular gene that it's time to turn off, or it could be in response to another variable where, in which the gene gets demethylated, turning it back on. And when I say a gene is being turned on or off, I just simply mean whether or not it's being replicated and read and turned into proteins or not. And we know that environmental cues like pollution or even diet uh, have an effect on the expression of particular genes that are both noticed in an individual as well as down the line in future generations. So coming full circle back to the nature versus nurture argument, we see that both the environment in which you were raised and how you were born, your genome that you were born with, both have a, a huge impact on how you are as a person. And because maternal genome changes are seen across generations as well as influences from the environment, we now think that epigenetic changes may be a factor in what caused human evolution. For example, in Drosophila, which is one of the most widely studied species, um, parental genotypes that were influenced by the environment are seen across multiple generations. And that's why this field of epigenetics is so important and so powerful. It shows us how our genes change over time and how it changes based on the influence of both our environment and our parents. And as we go into the outro music made by yours truly, um, I'm just going to wrap up this episode really quickly. So I hope that this short episode cleared up any confusion that we had on genetics itself, and I hope that it gave a good intro on what epigenetics is. This field of study is so powerful and it gives us so much information and we'll be able to continue on with it for years to come. So just as a reminder, the paper that we'll be discussing in the next episode is entitled Advances in Epigenetics Link Genetics to the Environment and Disease, which was published earlier this year by Cavalli and Hurd. The full citation for this paper is going to be in the description of the episode. I hope you get a chance to check out the paper and read it over real quick and let me know if you have any questions or something that you'd like me to discuss in the next episode. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and if you have any questions or comments or concerns or you have a paper you'd like me to discuss in one of the upcoming episodes, shoot them to podsauce at gmail.com. That's P-O-D sauce at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and stay saucy my friends.